everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. Before we start, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. My name is David Hare. I'm the Chief of Cardiac Intensive Care at Nemours AI DuPont Hospital for Children. I'm also a member of the PCICS Connections Committee. Today, I have the opportunity to interview Connie Myers from the University of Michigan. She presented her work on reducing surgical site infections in open-heart surgery in children at PCICS meeting in Miami this past December. Thank you so much, Connie, for being here. Happy to be here. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the background and the motivation um, for taking on this project at the University of Michigan. Absolutely. Um, We at the University of Michigan were having a problem with our surgical site infection rate. When we looked out to see what other centers were doing in terms of their infection rates, we noticed through the PC4 data that we were on the right end of the spectrum when you looked at all the different centers and how much SSI they were having, which is the wrong side of the box that you want to be in. Our medical director brought forward to the nursing retreat some information from PC4 data to say, hey, this is where we're falling in this particular area. Now, SSIs are not, do not have a national benchmark like other healthcare-acquired conditions or hacks. So, uh, CAUTI, CLAPSI, there's a national standard of what you either fall above or below that standard. SSIs do not have that benchmark to work with, so it's a little bit different to work with that particular information. So, uh, we look, could look at our own, inf- our own data to see that we were having an increase in SSIs starting in 2014 to 2017. We could also see that we were having an increase in SSI rates when we compared ourselves, not just to ourselves, but to the PC4 to see what they're doing with their rates. So we knew that we needed to do an intervention. Terrific. Prior to the initiation of this project, what was your standard of care for um, addressing this problem? Was there an organized protocol or, or not? protocol I'm going to talk about today is a nasal decolonization protocol that we implemented, and that was in 2017 in May. We had a committee from 2014 to 2017 that was doing work up until that point. So there was a lot of information and drivers and practice changes that we've made along the way, and we did make some practice changes also in addition during the time that we were doing the, de- the nasal decolonization protocol. So we were very thankful to see that we were having so we were having some improvement in our SSI rate before the implementation of the protocol, but we definitely saw a big change through that first year, and then we're into the second year. Great. Well, why don't you share with us the design of your protocol and, um, and the results? Absolutely. So what we um, actually are doing is a considered a decolonization protocol. So initially what we did was we were screening patients for uh, MSSA or staph. Forty percent of our patients that were getting surgical site infections had a staph infection. So that was the data that we were looking at. So we had our infection preventionist, um, you know, part of our team, and we decided that we were going to swab the patients. If they became positive, we would give them a five-day decolonization protocol. There was a lot of barriers with that. A lot of the, we had clinic nurse involved in that, finding out did they get their five-day treatment before surgery. Some kids are coming from a long distance and are only there two days before surgery, then they have to finish their treatment after their surgery. Kids coming in emergently from outside hospitals, kids being born coming into the ICU but not having surgery yet. And there was a lot of variables and factors in getting the, to getting, making sure that we were getting those um, cultures back. 
So, and if they had them at an outside hospital, then that was another layer of complexity in order to get that information. But we did that for one year. We collected the data and we looked at the number of cultures that we did and the number of patients that had SSIs. We did have a reduction in SSIs during that time frame. We decided that this protocol, the, the protocol for having to do the nasal, the cultures beforehand, we saw enough of an improved outcome that we felt like we could just move to standard, um, standard for everybody getting decolonization. There was some concern from infection prevention that perhaps that you shouldn't decolonize everybody and that might not be the right thing to do. But we were able to demonstrate initially that this was the right way to go. We also did have a couple of kids that tested negative when they did the swab and still developed a staph SSI hmm. post-op. So then they were like, well, how well is this culture being done? It's not necessarily foolproof. We've some, seen some improvement. It would be much easier just to treat everybody. And, and there's an extended cost from doing all those cultures as well. Sure. And um, the medication we use is Mupiracin, which is not expensive. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like over time, this process has gone through iterative change based on your evolution of your practice. And where has that ended up now in current era? How are you addressing this problem today? So we, we did multiple PDSA cycles. Currently, we, uh, we have a really a large multidisciplinary committee. When I say multidisciplinary, I'm talking about the clinic nurses, the pre-op nurses, the OR nurses, pediatric anesthesia, our pediatric surgeons, our PAs from downstairs, our cardiology ICU uh, attending. We have the clinical nursing leadership, such as myself, in the ICU. We have um, unit champions, nurses that come to the meetings and put the education out to the staff. We also have our general care staff, nursing leadership, cardiology, nursing champions. And then we also have our nurse practitioners who see the patients who do a lot of the discharge education and see them then their first appointment in the clinic. So we go all the way around the whole circle as we're looking at making changes. Mm-hmm. And everybody has input into the process. That's really the crux of my story when I, what I'm talking about my project today is how it's so important to engage all the right stakeholders. Yeah, it certainly takes a village when tackling these complex problems. I'd love to hear more about the impact that this project has had upon your outcomes and if you could share with us the results and improvement from this protocol, that'd be great. Absolutely. So one year after implementation, we were able to accomplish reduction in SSIs by 30% in our open heart surgeries that did not have delayed sternal closure. Uh, Many centers do have patients that come back from the OR with an open chest. And so the um, recommendations or data that we put forward is only for patients that come back from the OR with with a closed sternum. We do not report out nationally data on patients that have um, chest manipulations because you can't really count an SSI, uh, an initial SSI from your original procedure if you had your chest manipulated. You had your chest opened, you had your chest closed, you had to have a washout, you were bleeding, any of those kinds of things. So we had a 30% reduction in, in the traditional open heart surgeries where kids came back from the OR with their chest closed. We had a 43% reduction in open heart surgery with delayed sternal closure or considered post-manipulation. So we were able to uh, really make a big improvement in our rates, and we continue to do this work ongoing. Terrific. I'm curious, do you surveil patients while they continue to be inpatients on a regular basis and retreat them if they um, convert back to being positive? Absolutely. So if we, so we have several sources that patients come from. One of them would be they're born in our, in our institution and come in through the NICU, and we know, we would generally know if those patients, like a hypoplast is going to need a repair within the next five days. We would just go ahead and start them on the, on the um, 
decolonization protocol. If they come in from flight survival flight to from another hospital, newborn, and they're sick, we would start them on that. Whether they're going to surgery today or tomorrow or next Thursday, we would just go ahead and start them. The decolonization protocol in and of itself is a five-day treatment with mupirocin BID and you get CHG bathing daily. That's actually consi technically considered to be good for 30 days. So we do have patients in the ICU that let's say are waiting for a heart transplant. They get a, they get a treatment every 30 days because well, you never know when their surgery is going to be. We wouldn't necessarily retweet someone in the, in the general care area that's been in the hospital more than 30 days unless we thought they were going to be having a, going back to the OR for a procedure. So it's not automatically every 30 days, but if we think you're going to need a procedure, then we would go ahead and go forward with that. Building on this experience, uh, what do you see as the next steps or future directions in this area to further reduce surgical site infections? Well, at our institution, we just benchmarked with uh, the Ross Business School, and we're doing a collaborative project where the Center for Design and Innovation has come over, and we're doing a whole process mapping project. So there's been a lot of resources and energy that's been brought into the Congenital Heart Center for this project. We've done a lot of work in the ICUs, and they, they looked at all the different areas, and it was a really large project, included all the areas that I talked about previously. And the, the areas that they have chosen to focus on currently are the time from pre-op to incision, time from incision to arrival in the unit. So a lot of those areas, like the interoperative and the perioperative areas, are where they're focusing a lot of their um, looking at process maps and looking at processes and where we can make differences. We've done a lot of work in the ICU over the last couple of years. The other thing that I think it's important to mention is that you know our hand hygiene rates have gone up tremendously in the last two years. So we're, our typical hand hygiene rate, let's say in early 2017, was probably 80%. 2018, we were up into the 90s, and we we're now consistently above 95%. So that includes the ICU, that includes the general care, that includes the OR. So we've, so there's other things that may be impacting some of that SSI work, and I think hand washing absolutely is an important thing to consider or think about. We've also adopted some changes regarding, we, we have uh, stethoscopes in every room, that that same stethoscope is used on that patient, and every, do, every cardiologist comes in the room and uses that same stethoscope for that patient. So we made an, a monetary investment in some decent stethoscopes so that we could make that happen. So people aren't transmitting germs, or, and they're washing their hands, and they're not carrying the dirty stethoscope from bed to bed. Did that make a big difference? It's hard to say. Great. Well, I, I think the cardiologists, I'm sure, appreciate having quality stethoscopes at the bedside, and so thank you. Um, but I think all, all of those aspects highlight the complexity of these problems. And um, you know, I'm sure that you encountered some barriers along the way. It's striking to me how many um, members of the team at all different levels are involved in this sort of, um, uh, the, this sort of protocol. Um, so I wonder if you can share with me some of your communication strategies and education strategies um, for communicating these improvement projects to your staff? I have a strong feeling that having staff nurses as part of this work, people that are engaged at the unit level, so nurses that work in the operating room, nurses that work in the pre-op area, the ICU nurses, the floor nurses, being able to speak to what current practice is and being able to say this is what's happening. We also have um, a good source of getting uh, data collection so that we're able to see and do know whether or not we're meeting our process measures. So we were, we were able to get, how many kids were able to get decolonized before surgery? How many kids never got decolonized? That happened a few times. It just went, you got admitted on Saturday, had surgery on Sunday, and you never got decolonized, and it, sometimes that would happen. Were there any other um, barriers that stood out in, in the development of this protocol? 
that you'd like to share? I think that there's always barriers from people when you're asking someone to do more work than what they're already doing. So I think you should do this work because it would be the best thing, but maybe that's not what you think you should be doing. So it, it did take some time. It takes some buy-in. And once you start to see results where you see that the SSI rates are getting better, maybe, maybe you don't see that if you work in the operating room. Maybe you don't see that if you're the clinic nurse. You don't see them post-op. You don't really know. So everybody knows what's happening and what the rates are. And we do actually a case review of every SSI. We meet once a month, and we talk about every patient. Did we meet the process measures? Did they get their decolonization? Did they get a pre-op bath? Did they get shaving? Did they get, did they get their post-op bathing? And we look, did they get their antibiotic timing correctly in the OR? So some of those are core measures, and some of them are measures that we consider to be core for us so that we review every single SSI as it comes through. That's terrific. I think that highlights the importance of creating a multidisciplinary team with stakeholder buy-in to have successful QI initiatives in, in, in one center, um, and also the importance um, of sharing our data and our results in a transparent fashion so that people can see the good work that we're all doing, and that will help motivate folks to, to improve even more. So that's terrific, and you know, I'd like to close by congratulating you on uh, a very effective protocol and a, and a wonderful presentation, um, and I'd like to um, remind our listeners to look for other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes as they're released. Once again, find our website at PCICS.org. Um, thank you for listening, and thank you, Connie, for sharing your project with us today. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. I don't know by grapes is used under a creative form of 3.0.